A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. No, interest rates should have been raised uh, a long time ago, and uh, the Bank of England has been too slow. You know what? This something-for-nothing economics isn't conservative, uh, it's I- socialism. How does he look within giving the grim data of the day? On the inflation rate and the unemployment rate. It's called the Phillips Curve. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So how do we get ourselves into the situation where economics is wrecking the planet? It is driving us to consume more and pollute more in a way which is clearly unsustainable. How much of this is to blame for what we are doing to the planet? How much of it can we blame on the supposed science of economics? If we had priced things correctly, if we'd addressed feedback loops, if we'd realised there is a finite extent to which the economy could grow, how differently would things be... And is there a chance that the planet could have been saved? What could we have done differently? And what should we do next as we try and save the planet? That's all this week on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So one of the most discussed podcasts of late has been the one where we looked at growth and Steve said we should be focused on zero growth because otherwise we're going to destroy the planet. But I wonder whether actually the bigger issue is that we've never fully and accurately priced energy and just as importantly, pollution. So aside from the you know the crisis that we're now facing over supplies from Russia, have we ever really accurately priced energy as an input for businesses and for consumers? Have we been paying too little for it, in other words? Is there a better way of representing the real cost of energy? Uh, and what would a more realistic pricing model do for innovation and consumption? Would it really slow stuff down? Similarly with pollution and waste, do businesses avoid the real cost of waste? And just as importantly, the end-of-life assets. Like, for example, when you knock a house down, are you paying, you, you're focused on how much it costs to build the new house? Have you really factored in uh, the implications of knocking the house down, given that a lot of stuff that ends up in landfill is actually, a vast proportion of it is actually building materials. So we'll look at that today. But Steve, let's quickly revisit this uh, zero growth idea because we've got a whole load of stuff going on on Twitter as a result of that. I mean, if we find a way to more efficiently use energy, I mean, surely we can still have growth if we've used energy more efficiently. So the International Energy Agency reckons that if we are to reach net zero by 2050, then energy efficiency needs to improve by 4% per year. Sadly, over the last five years, it's only improved by 1.3%. But that 1.3%, small though it is, shows that we are doing more with less, albeit only a little bit more and and a little bit less. But if we saw energy efficiency equaling growth, then we would not... I mean, there is a relationship then, isn't there, between growth and uh, our consumption of energy. So long as we keep growth level with how much more we're getting out of the energy we consume well there's there's actually a lot more to it than that and and i think i mean i'm going to start from what i what i see as the uh lay down misere of um of of the problems that are trying to solve issues with energy and waste using the price system and that's the second law of thermodynamics and uh, that doesn't you know given the fact that we radiate heat out into the planet i'm not talking about the energy load 
uh, on the biosphere itself. But just fundamentally, because production involves using energy to do useful work, and because that useful work leads to a degradation in the quality of energy over time, and the same thing could be seen as applying to, to matter itself, we uh, produce refined minerals and necessarily slag waste on the other side. Um, the sum total of the damage we do that way, the, the uh, Im improving the quality of stuff by effectively making low entropy, so low disorder um, products out of high disorder products, we necessarily increase that waste over time. If we tried to price the whole thing, you're gonna lose money. Now this, this, I know that's going to sound a bit weird to people to begin with, but I'll, I'll use Allen Ginsberg's summary of the, the laws of thermodynamics to try to put it into, into context, because what he, the way he summarised the laws was the first law is you can't win, the second law is you can't break even, and the third law is you can't leave the game. So uh, the, 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 the first law saying you, you, can't, you can't win is saying you can't create energy. Okay. The amount of energy that exists in the universe is fixed. So no matter what you do, you're not, you're not creating energy, you're transferring energy from one form into another. But necessarily the amount of energy is constant, energy plus matter. Okay. But, we can, but we can be more efficient about how we, how we manage yeah, that. We can, we, can that. we can never defeat the second law of thermodynamics using efficiency. Okay. Because ultimately there has to be waste. Um, otherwise, you can't you can't produce useful energy in the first place, uh, and um, like the the, the 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 this is why if we see uh, cooling towers for turbines for producing energy, whether that's nuclear power or coal-fired power stations or whatever, they've all got cooling towers. Why do they have cooling towers? Because they're using energy to heat up the water, create steam, and cause a turbine to turn in a fixed loop. So that. Uh, the water on, on one side of the turbine is you know, high pressure, high, te high temperature steam. It turns the turbine. If it stayed at the same temperature coming back the other way, the pressure on either side of the turbine would be constant. The turbine would not spin. So you've got to dump the waste heat into the environment to enable you to exploit the energy in the first place. But, so, but if you've got if you've got a car which is more efficient than uh, you know a car today would be more efficient than a car twenty or thirty years ago because we've it's also done heavier. More... <laughs> right. Sorry, yeah, okay. But but, it, but I get... mean, we're getting I'm getting you get more miles per gallon, for example, than uh, than than you did you know a decade or two ago. So there's an example of how you're using exactly the same amount of energy, but you're getting more efficient output for it. You're getting you're you're taking a heavier car further than you yeah, were before. But but you're not. You're, but you're still generating waste. You can't get away from waste energy. But not as but not as much. As yeah, but, 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 you'll, but you'll, you, there are limits to it. And this is what we're seeing, like not so much mm. with cars, but say with, with lighting sources, because if you go back to the beginnings of the uh, electrical revolution, then the first light bulbs are incandescent light bulbs, and they generate 99% you know, heat and 1% energy. That's why you put your hand on an incandescent light bulb, you're going to have a blistered hand pretty rapidly. Uh, yeah. Then you go to... Um, uh, the, the, uh, the neon system, with a, with a neon system you're exciting the gas neon uh, or argon or whatever else to cause it to raise up one level and then drop one level so a photon is emitted by that uh, transit and then you, know, you don't get any much heat out of, 
out of the neons and they're, and they're more efficient. And now we have light emitting diodes and they're ultimate efficiency as well. But we're literally approaching the limits of that efficiency. Uh, there are very few people arguing there's anything more efficient than an LED, uh, but we still necessarily have to use energy to turn those lights on. So we've reached right. the limit there. But so I- for, for, light, for light bulbs, though, so when, so when, I mean, there'll be other things that we can create efficient. So, for example, are electric cars going to be a, a more efficient use of energy than petrol cars? Uh, and are we going to find that we can create energy more efficiently, you know, electric energy more efficiently through through solar cells or wind power or whatever alternative energy resources we use. And, you know, so aren't we going to innovate in that and therefore, you know, use the same amount of energy, but we're just using it more efficiently? I mean, it all ultimately comes but from it, the but sun, it, but doesn't it's, it? Whatever way you go, it's not an infinite solution. It's a solution now in terms of reducing the amount of energy we're producing and reducing the amount of waste. But if you're going to continue talking about indefinite growth, then the only way you're going to get an indefinite growth is to use more energy and generate more waste over time. So the, the limits to efficiency, you're never going to be more efficient than 100%. Mm. Okay? And you're not, you're not going to reach 100% efficiency in most activities because the laws of thermodynamics and, and uh, the, the necessary you know, uh, frictions, et cetera, et cetera, genuine ones rather than ones made up by economists, genuine frictions you can't get away from in mechanical devices and so on. So there is a limit of 100%. And we are closer to that limit than most people realise. So efficiency might, like if, if you were going to hit a, a brick wall in terms of uh, the capacity of human civilization to use energy without destroying itself, and that brick wall was, uh, say, t- 20 years away, uh, then if we were currently operating at one-third efficiency and we thought we'd get there by uh, you know, reaching 100%, if that was possible, it only buys us an extra 40 years and less, less indeed. It doesn't mean we can keep on doing it for 400 so, years. So seeing efficiency as a solution, I think, is the right. trap. Okay, so when the International Energy Agency, I don't quite know how they arrived at these figures, when they say that energy efficiency has improved by a certain amount. So between 2011 and 2016, they were saying it was 2.3%. So presumably what they've done is they've looked at uh, output and energy consumption and seen how the the relationship between the two has improved. So they've said it's improved by 2.3%. So this is sort of perhaps supporting your case. Since 2016, uh, that's fallen to 1.3%. And they're saying, well, you know, to to meet net zero, we've actually got to get it back up to 4%. So we've got to be more efficient it seems to be that it's getting less efficient, and that could be because you're saying, "Yeah, well, we're we're, we're peaking now. We've we've done as much as we can. Or yeah, is, we're we, getting we, we close are to reaching. It. We are approaching a peak. I mean, if you look at the efficiency of, you know, one of the reasons that uh, James Watt's steam engine was such an advance over previous technologies, not that there were no steam engines, there were plenty, but what he did was uh, use use the governor, uh, automatic governor, to stop uh, the uh, boilers exploding and was cooling the water down. Uh, uh, So the heat exchanger was happening in two cylinders rather than one. And that was a dramatic increase in efficiency over previous steam engine, which is why his steam engine swept the world and and that led to the diesel uh, type systems we use these days being developed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So there was a huge increase in efficiency over those days. But we are talking a quarter of a millennium now since that that issue. Overwhelmingly, in a large in a large number of activities, there isn't much headroom uh, to improve the efficiency. There isn't the uh, you know enormous free lunch people think we have in improving efficiency in most manufacturing processes and and most consumer 
um, uh, commodities. But there's a lot uh, of be, a lot of untapped power from the sun, though, isn't there? And and the moon, you know, through well, that's, tide, that's using through more energy. Right. <laughs> right. Not, they're not using it's not using existing energy sources more efficiently. You're talking about a new energy source, and therefore adding to the amount of energy we're dumping into the biosphere, and that is the problem. Right. the waste we're dumping into the biosphere. So, okay, so we, so your point is that, that if we, uh, so it, so if we just cover the planet in, in solar cells and and start uh, using those as our main source of energy, if we were able to produce that many solar cells, I know there's a question mark about the, the minerals that are required for that to happen, but let's put that aside. If we just used a lot more of that, you're saying, well, okay, that would in, in, in increase energy use, and with that energy use, we're going to see more waste in one form or another. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it's not a solution to change the energy source if that means you're adding more energy to the mix. Uh, and but if it's clean uh, energy, the, I mean, if it's, I mean, if it's. Uh, you, have you seen? There's an interesting Twitter feed on the amount of copper involved in producing modern uh, uh, you know, wind farms and and uh, semiconductors and so on. And there's a, you know, you, you you're just substituting waste generated by fossil fuels for waste generated by mining, um, mining minerals. So it is, it, mm. it, you know, the the the, the people, the, and this is one reason I have some sympathy for the mental uh, trap that neoclassical got themselves into. They believe that general is better than partial, but they whack the unfortunate word equilibrium on the end of each of them, and that's the mistake. A general system is necessary. You've got to be able to look at a, a general view of a system rather than just a partial view. And what we tend to get caught up on all the time is a partial view. And we say, okay, well, if we swap you know, fossil fuels for, uh, for solar systems, then aren't we you know, being cleaner because we don't have to burn anything. You know, the energy is directly converted from sunlight into electricity. There's no burning, et cetera, et cetera, involved. That's much got to be better, hasn't it? But then, so how do you build the solar cells? And then you see the amount of minerals that have to be mined to create it. You're changing the locus of pollution. You're not changing the existence right. of pollution. So then we get on to the question of pricing. We're going to take a quick quick break, unless, of course, you are a supporter of Steve Keen on mm. Patreon or Substack, in which case there is no quick break. Uh, well, it's much quicker. We're, we're gone and we're back again in an instant. You don't have to <laughs> listen to a couple of ads. Uh, but for everybody else, when we come back... I want to look at whether, you know, pricing can help with some of this because it's clearly wrong right now uh, and isn't that part of the problem. So we'll do that when we get back. So speak to you in a second. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. 
Okay, so before the break, we were, we were talking about uh, the, co- the connection between uh, energy use and energy efficiency and the argument that, well, if we create more energy, that's, that's going to create more um, pollution ultimately. So there's the question about whether, we, wh- whether we're actually c- uh, correctly pricing all of this. So, I, you know, I think about when I throw stuff away. I pay at, at the, the most local level. Uh, say I go to a supermarket and I buy a load of goods that are, are very heavily packaged. It's it's up to me to get, not the producer, it's up to me to get rid of all of that packaging. And I stick it in my bin for which I've paid, paid a flat price uh, for my council to take it away, irrespective of how much plastic and other rubbish goes into that bin. So right there, there's no relationship, is there, between how much uh, is packaging in a goods uh, and uh, and the price you pay for that good. And it might be actually cheaper to produce something which is heavily packaged because it's got a longer shelf life. So that's cheaper for me to buy uh, and cheaper for the, the manufacturer to, to distribute. So right there, we've got a mismatch, haven't we? I mean, economic forces are not working correctly. Yeah, well, that, I think that's, there's part of that I disagree with, the part which is fundamentally true, and that is that we have an incredibly linear uh, approach to consuming on the planet right now. So you buy the inputs at one end, you dump the waste at the other, uh, and there's no attempt to recycle or to reuse any of that. Uh, And that means that uh, not only is the uh, consumer uh, not paying for the cost of waste, neither is the producer. So the producer gets to scot-free, and that's part of the profitability of their enterprise, that they don't have to clean up the mess they're creating uh, by the manufacturing, and when then it, that waste is accumulating in the biosphere, and it used to be something you could ignore 250 years ago, uh, you certainly can't ignore it today. So that pricing of pollution is where we've got ourselves into this mess, isn't it? I mean, that's the the fact well, that it's. The, 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 I mean, I, I, I give the, you an, another example. You buy something cheap from China. Yeah. You're paying for the pollution in Beijing that created that low-cost output. So people are dying, basically, because you are paying less, in effect. And we don't care because we got it cheap. That's partially the issue. But I think, I think seeing if you, imagining you can solve everything using the price system is just another conceit of economic theory. Because they think, oh, if you price everything properly, you get this point of 100% efficiency. This is, you know, this is not a direct application of the laws of thermodynamics, but there's no such point. Okay, 100% efficiency is a myth, and when you when you look at the the role of, 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 of uh, the laws of the, the laws of thermodynamics here, uh, saying that to generate energy you must have a gap between the heat of the energy source and the heat into which that uh, the, where you dump the waste, because it's the difference between the heat of the energy source and the heat of the environment that lets you harness that heat to do useful work. Now, that gap has to be positive. You have to have uh, you know, a higher energy, a higher temperature uh, in your energy source, so speaking particularly in terms of heat engines, but it, it does generalise to other forms of, of, of converting en- energy into useful work. Uh, you have to have that gap, you, and you have to have waste being generated as well. You can't get rid of it. So the idea you can price waste out of existence is believing you can price the second law of thermodynamics out of existence, and you can't. It's not, though. It's pricing. It's, it's, it's putting the price on that so you produce less. Yeah, you want to discourage. It's yeah, like you want to saying, dis- well, yeah. OK, uh, if, if you're going to yeah. consume this, you've got to pay the right price. So if you, if you, it's, it's not trying to close the gap. It's just trying to reduce the output. Even so, if you, tried, if you tried to get to the stage where you had zero waste being generated, you'd be losing money. 
And yeah. you know, so, so the, in some ways we But you have, have less waste by consuming less. I mean, that's ultimately, yeah. that's what you want to do, isn't it? You yeah, want to use yeah. less energy and you want to have less pollution. Yeah. So if you have the realistic price, we say, well, this is a realistic price of how much it actually costs to make this if you are paying the right price for the energy. But don't forget, you've also got to dispose of it. And, uh, and that this is the cost of, uh, you know, the end of life of this product. You've got to pay for that as well. But- uh, and so the price you're going to pay for all of these things is three times as much as uh, as you're used to paying. And you go, okay, well, I can't afford quite as much of that. Uh, and then maybe it'll also change behavior then. Companies will say, well, okay, we need to change our production process. Now we can't wrap it in plastic because it's so expensive. Now we've got to pay for the whole price of that. Uh, and, and therefore we are going to change it. So we are, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're less damaging. I take your point though, you know, that even if they do that, you've still got this, this energy gap. And the only way to fix that is by having people consume less and produce less. But, but it's also the whole issue of whether you can actually price things accurately, properly. The idea that an ideal price that includes or what the neoclassical economists prefer to call externalities to describe the damage we do to the environment in which we live. Yeah. Far well, from- I, I was hoping you'd have an answer to that. That was going to be my next question. How do we price it, Steve? We can't. We can't. <laughs> and th- th- this is why, right. again, having the perspective that the laws of thermodynamics gives you is, is vital to understanding what can be done in, in terms of maintaining a production, production system on an ecosphere, which is what we're trying to do. Hopefully there are other ecospheres where they're not creating the same damage we are, but uh, we, we can't actually ask those aliens that right now. But this is, I find Tim Garrett's perspective on this extremely useful because if you look at, uh, at, at life on the planet, then the vast majority of life on the planet is surviving on the energy flow coming from the sun. So the sun's providing the free energy, the animal, the plants absorb the energy, uh, the the animals eat the plants, some animals eat other animals, Uh, the waste that they process uh, then becomes uh, processed by microbes, Uh, you get the nitrogen cycle and the carbon cycle and all the phosphorus cycle and so on, enabling life to continue on. And if you look at the energy level consumed by like a a peak uh, predator, uh, in that environment, looking at a lion or a tiger, and mm. uh, and the and the amount of energy they consume is far less than the average consumer does when they flick on the light switches when they come back home at night. So would that that means well, what are we doing? Well, we've found these sources of concentrated energy in the environment. That can be there's obviously fossil fuels, which were you know vast expanses of, of, of organic matter that were crushed down into tiny reservoirs, and the energy content of those tiny reservoirs per, per, per unit volume far exceeds the energy consumption levels that are being enjoyed by all the animals on the, on the biosphere. So we find that, we find a way to exploit it, and we therefore have a gap between the, ener- the concentrated energy that we find in those sources and the background environment. We burn that energy, we, we, we turn it from uh, like uh, you know, by setting it on fire and then causing a fire to turn a turbine to turn and the turbine generates electric current, etc., etc. We then elevate ourselves above that background level of the environment. So we're sitting at an energy consumption level per capita far above what the average animal on the, on the planet is capable That's, of doing. And, right. and we do that, we have, to be, we have to be using available free energy and we have to be generating waste. So if we tried to price those two out of existence, 
we'd find we simply couldn't afford to get out of the trees. Right. So those those animals hadn't discovered economics, had they? Had they? I mean, imagine, imagine if the bastards. gazelles being yeah. chased by those lions or tigers uh, had said, had turned around and said, hang on a sec, there's another way. Yeah. Uh, I've just discovered this <laughs> economics textbook. They might save their life but destroy the planet. But um, is there a relationship then between, you know, because we're digging up all these, these, little, these little batteries of, uh, of stored oil, uh, in the ground, uh, which have given us all this energy, and that's allowed us to grow the economy so we have this fantastic GDP. There is a relationship then, isn't there, between how much energy we're consuming and what our growth rate is. So exactly. is GDP, GDP is entirely dependent on, on how much energy we consume. Yeah, yeah we, when we can moderately, we, we can tinker at the edges in terms of efficiency and tinker at the edges in terms of of, of controlling the amount of waste we generate, we certainly have to encourage a completely circular mindset. So like I think ultimately plastic has to give way, uh, you know, going, going shopping and buying gear in plastic, which you then throw in the garbage bin, has to be replaced by going shopping and buying, taking your own container, which you refill at the shopping centre and then empty back at the, the house and return again. And you, you don't have that contribution of the waste of the packaging. To the environment, this, that that mindset was a dramatic change from how we are behave right now. That has to be. They've tried hard. it, of course. Huh? I do. It's tried. I mean, everyone was thinking, "Oh, but who spat into the uh, breakfast cereal bowls?" And uh, I mean, some supermarkets tried it. It didn't last very long, did it? So our our, our well, attitude. They, they, they towards... tried it without realizing how important it was. Mm. Yeah. And we all need to recognise that. So, yeah, at some point, it has to be impossible to buy, pla- buy plastic packaging. So, but again, uh, I'm just wondering whether this can be sorted out by by pricing. So, if we say, well, okay, there is this 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 relationship between how much energy we use and what the GDP of a of a nation is. I mean, economics for dummies, page one would suggest that the price for anything is determined by supply, and if supply is constrained. Uh, because there's not as much of it, uh, and because we're, you know, also factoring out the, uh, you know, the, the the full price. Prices should go up. That means we wouldn't buy as much. I mean, would, that would apply to energy and to and to goods with their, the the impact of their pollution as well. Surely, but if you fully price the damage, price the even the damage we cause, let alone paying for the energy in the first instance, you end up with a negative sum. Okay. We, we, fundamentally, we, we have to be exploiting a gap uh, between the free energy we find and the energy level of the biosphere into which we dump the waste. Otherwise, we can't have a, a, an industrial civilization to begin with. So the idea of pricing it, if you priced it properly, you wouldn't have an industrial civilization in the first instance. This is the, you, know, the, the old, you, you can't break even. Okay, so what we've got in the mindset of economics is we not only can we break even, we can make a profit. Well, that profit is only possible if you're exploiting the energy uh, gap between the energy sources we find and the background energy level of the planet. And and that you know, if you try to close the gap by using the price mechanism to do it, uh, you end up having a system where you can't make a profit. So how do we fix that problem then? How do we get uh, more stuff like this? I'll give you an example. So Brighton University has got a thing called the Waste House, which is made 85% from waste material picked up from household and construction sites. It's got an EPCA rating, which means it's very energy efficient. The walls are insulated with uh, old jeans, plastic razor blades, DVDs. The walls are 35 centimetres thick. It takes 12 hours for warmth to seep out through this wall. Mm. Um, if uh, it, I, I mean, how do we get more projects? How do we get that to become the norm? Because, of course, the norm is 
that if you are building an extension to your house or uh, you're just not happy with your house, you just knock it down. Mm. Construction, uh, reading this in a BBC article that says construction creates an estimate, uh, estimated third of the world's overall waste and at least 40% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions because basically it sits there as landfill and, uh, you know, and the landfill is a great creator of uh, of greenhouse gas- gases so uh, you know 40% of the world's carbon dioxide comes from the construction industry compared to 2 to 3% of the the aviation that we're, we're all concerned about so you know when we knock down parts of our old house to build a new extension we don't factor in the full cost of what happens to that waste so how do we change to a world where things like that you know where we go I'm going to build a waste house or I'm not going to knock my house down. I'm just going to replace, do something with the walls using that, the, you know, the, the materials I've already got. That has to be a price consideration, doesn't it? I have to be told, well, if you want to build something new, you've got to pay the real price of getting rid of all the old stuff. So you might as well keep the old stuff and, and build on it. That's That's got to be a pricing consideration, hasn't it? Pricing is part of it, but it can't be the whole thing. We simply have to have legislative limits on what we do. It's, it, it comes down to uh, the the. the, the because the price system cannot solve all the issues involved in anything because of the laws of thermodynamics. Um, mm. Again, this is—I mean, I'm, I can hardly claim to be an expert on the laws of thermodynamics. I'm aware of them, and I put them into my thinking about the economy. But I—I I couldn't go through and do the statistical mechanics that are involved in the calculations of entropy and so on. But I'm aware right. they're but the, necessary. But the basic argument which you've given at the very simple level is: yeah. the more energy you, cons- you consume, the more waste there is. Whatever you do, yeah, there's going to be more waste. you can't get rid of it. So, what, but you have to encourage the—I mean, we have—we have, we have a, a wasteful society. There's no doubt about that. So, mm. like you know. A, I'm going shopping after we finish this conversation to go and buy garbage bags. It happens there were no garbage bags in the flat I'm in, so I've got to go buy them to throw out the garbage. Now, that whole throw out the garbage mentality is something which has become dominant really in the 20th, in the 21st century and 21st century uh, because we just have a consumerist ideology. We don't even produce the stuff ourselves anymore. That's been outsourced to China. Uh, and so we don't even see the production of of uh, of the, the the waste the the product which become waste at a later stage. So we have a totally consumerist mindset, and that has to change. And we have to see ourselves as trying to minimise the pressure we put upon the biosphere, and that means minimising waste. So the day, days of garbage bags and uh, the linear uh, system has to go. The, what Kate Rover talks about the circular society and the uh, the donut have to be the way we think. But we'll never eliminate waste completely by doing it. We will reduce the level of waste. We cannot eliminate it completely. And the pricing system, there's no form of magic which can get rid of the second law of thermodynamics. Right. So back to those figures from the International Energy Agency saying that to reach net zero by 2050, we need to improve energy efficiency by 4% per year. And uh, it was 3%. It's down to 1.3%. You know, probably get down to half a percent. That would That would imply... The only way we're ever going to get down to net zero is by significantly reducing energy consumption. Forget about the idea of energy efficiency because it won't happen. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, um, we we have to just consume less energy. We also talk about converting it from fossil fuel to non-fossil fuel. But, of course, that has all the waste implications of the mining necessary to produce the machinery that replaces the burning of fossil fuels to create to, to... 
to uh, harness energy and do useful work with it. So we have an enormous level of overshoot and I think there's absolutely no alternative to degrowth. The question is whether it's been planned degrowth or unplanned degrowth. And I'm horrified by the thought of unplanned degrowth because that is sort of transition from a, a world of a, of a, you know, a large-scale uh, uh, industrial society to the world of Mad Max. Yeah, and the rich will survive the longest because they, uh, they, can, they can build the biggest barricades. The uh, and and the poor will just starve to death. But the, I mean, the, the, we can buy time there, can't we, with substitution? So the waste from uh, fossil fuel-fed production is obviously less than the waste from solar production or or alternative energy production, isn't it? I mean, less or more. Well, the, the, so the waste is mo- the, we're seeing more waste from fossil fuels than we are from the, the waste we're seeing from uh, from from non from from renewables. It, it, it's a moot point because it depends upon the mining that's involved in in creating you know the semiconductors, the copper that wires the semiconductors that wires the uh, the wind turbines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We're still not doing a complete accounting. That's why I wanted you know Simon Marshall on the show to talk about his analysis. Uh, but we're, we're not getting away from waste. We're, conver- we're, we're substituting one form of waste for another. Now, the waste we're getting rid of is carbon dioxide, and we have to stop doing that because we're changing the, uh, the, the uh, biosphere so dramatically by pumping carbon dioxide in there. And because it's such a long-lived pollutant, that's the main danger. But to go, to fos- go from fossil fuels to non-fossil fuel energy sources doesn't mean we go from waste to no waste. We go, we change. No, the but it might go. We, we go from waste. We go from waste to a little less waste, which is better than not doing it at all. Isn't or, it? Yeah, and all, all waste that does less damage immediately, and uh, we and therefore have more time to work out how we get to a, an overall solution. And that's where people are advocating nuclear power come in. Of course, they say that the the uh, energy concentration is that much higher, the waste is that much less uh, when you do the measurements properly. Um, so that is another issue. But I think fundamentally still we are using you know, too much energy, too much consumption of the, of the biosphere's capabilities, and we have to reduce that uh, quite drastically uh, to the stage where there's some capacity for the biosphere not to be so badly damaged by our industrial civilization that it causes that industrial civilization to break down. Right. But if, if nuclear was, was the answer, then that would be continuing to improve energy efficiency which would allow GDP growth, wouldn't it? Well, it depends. The question is, you know, this is how they find energy efficiency there. I mean, in that sense, the amount of energy in a small amount of uranium or thorium is far greater than the amount of energy in a, in, in a gigantic amount of coal or a ridiculous number of, of solar panels. Um, so, yes, you, you'd get a, your, your ratio of energy out to energy in would look, would look more Im- impressive. But, you know, you're still creating waste uh, if you then use that to power an industrial civilization. Right, but the waste is a lot less waste than the waste from burning coal. So it yeah, is- yeah, and like, particularly in the case of nuclear. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, funnily enough, even though nuclear is probably the most demonised mm. energy source, uh, in terms of the amount of waste generated, there'll be people uh, screaming at their uh, their podcast player right now. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, to- no, but it's, mm. so you take a look and um, empirically, that's one thing I've got to concede to the nuclear uh, case. Uh, with the amount of, and particularly also with modern uh, what are called uh, water moderated reactors, which don't use the old uh, carbon uh, moderators to slow down the neutrons, they are inherently safer as well. So the technology in nuclear 
from what I've seen, I'm not an expert, but I've, you know, I follow my, my engineers tell me on Patreon and so on, uh, is safer, uh, far safer than we have its record as being. And the waste that's generated is far less dangerous than the waste coming out of the fossil fuel industry or the waste could be generated by, by uh, the renewables. So we have a, you know, a, a real issue about waste minimisation. And one of the most effective ways to do that would be to use nuclear power rather than uh, not only uh, fossil fuel, but also uh, re renewable, so-called renewable energy, because of the waste involved in generating those renewable devices in the first instance. Right. So we get. So if we get to, uh, I mean, so you would concede that I mean, there's there's still the potential for for moderate growth if it was if it was you know well regulated. If... I, I think we're I think we're I think we're at least twice the scale we should be on the planet. Right. Okay. At least twice, possibly four times. I mean, if you in go terms, back in, in terms in, of growth in, or in terms of us overall. In terms, of in terms of us overall, so therefore we can't grow. Right, okay. We, we can't sustainably grow. The limits to growth written back in 72 was going to be regarded as one of the most prescient and, and, and informative documents ever written, which was disparaged and destroyed by the economics profession, in particular William Nordhaus. Um, but that we're going to look back and say, why didn't we listen to those buggers? And they said we had to change direction from 1975 to, to be able to reach what the, the sustainable future that they saw being feasible with an income level per capita about three to four times the level that applied back in the 1970s, but much more evenly distributed. That would have been feasible because we ignored them for two, gener two generations, you know, two times 25 years. We've quadrupled the population of the, of the planet pretty closely, maybe, maybe not quadrupled, but certainly three times, and the per capita energy consumption is about, again, at least twice, if not three times. So the load on the planet's gone up by a factor of, of the order of 10 over what they saw as sustainable. Because and they were right. We've got to get back to it Because again. energy and pollution has been too cheap relative to, 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 you know, to what we consume. That's the... the it's, it's, I mean, I, it's uh, partial. It's, it's partial, but it can't be the full answer because we can't... The price system cannot... You can't eliminate the second law of thermodynamics using the price system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Take that. So, look, this would be a perfect point to finish this, but I've got some numbers here and I want to use them. Damn it. I'm not going to finish ah, this okay. podcast. I've done this research. I don't want to throw it away. I'm just not quite okay, sure how okay. it fits. How come the numbers? All right. I, yep, I, yep, I'm yep. not quite sure how it fits into the discussion, but I looked at the World Health Organization. They've got their air quality guideline, which is based on the concentration of PM2.5. So, that's part particulate matter, 2.5. Uh, is the size in micrometers. So 2.5 micrometers is 0.0025 millimeters. So this is the very small stuff in the air that can get into your bloodstream and uh, cause all sorts of damage to, to your brain and to your health generally. It can kill you if you get lots of it. And we look at how much of the world falls short of the recommended concentration levels by the World Health Organization. It's 90% of the population is exposed to too much 2.5 p.m. Uh, pollution. Uh, and you can actually go, if you go to IQ Air, which is an interesting website, you can see how where you live stacks up. So actually where I am, we're in the safe range. So uh, <laughs> so move to Surrey. Uh, but Barcelona in Spain, for example, seven to, time, seven to ten times that standard. 94% of the Chinese population live in, a, in areas not meeting the World Health Organization standards. 88% in Brazil, 87% of France, 76% of the population of the United States, 63% of the UK, 57% for Canada, Australia, 4%. 
uh, New Zealand 3%. So if you want a healthy life, they're the places to go. Of course, you know, in Australia, they are not experiencing the impact. They're just helping create it by exporting vast amounts of, uh, of coal and, uh, and, and, and other fossil fuels. Uh, but that's, I, I don't know, that's just interesting, Steve, isn't it? <laughs> I've, got, I've got no question. I just wanted to get those numbers out there. But the, but well, it, but the, these, the, the, the numbers matter, but they're not the solution to the whole problem. Yeah. Okay? The, fact that, the, fact that we, the fact we put everything in numbers is partly our problem. We have to say some parts of the planet are off limits. And that's what Sloan, Sloan Wilson argued. I'm pretty certain uh, that, uh, you know, the ecological movement in general... Uh, wants us to consume less of the planet and leave more for the other life forms. And that you, you can't just do that using the price system. You have to have control saying humans can't go there. Right. But we could say, OK, we want the planet to fall within these standards, which would mean you'd have to, yeah. you know, it would be a perhaps another target rather than size zero, zero emissions. It's like, well, OK, let's improve the environment. You know, let's try and get those numbers down, which would mean... Something more drastic than uh, than aiming for this this net zero target, which you know, if you, if you're to be believed, we're never going to achieve anyway. It's just a false hope. Yeah, yeah. So we have to have a more sensible target, and that's getting again. I keep on saying my, one of my favourite perspectives: what humans should be. We should be custodians of life. Mm. That should be our first. And capitalism falls, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth priority in that list. Uh, we, we, are the, we are the intelligent beings on this planet and we should therefore be trying to preserve and extend life, not destroy it. And that's unfortunately we're doing the latter. Right, OK. So the, the, the question raised at the beginning of this is how do we price energy and pollution uh, effectively? The answer is don't bother uh, because uh, we just need to use less of it, which I mean, we won't discuss now, but we've discussed it numerous times before. It just provides more weight to that argument that we've actually got to ration how much we consume, yep. which is the idea of uh, of having this this carbon credit scheme. It's yep. probably the only way out of this. All right, very good. Uh, refer to previous podcasts if you're not quite sure what that is, but it basically means everybody's given a certain amount of carbon credits uh, to live off. And uh, if you exceed that, you have to buy it off someone else at a, at a vastly increased price. There's a bit of a market mechanism in there helping to solve the problem. Good to talk, Steve. Catch you again soon. Okay, mate. Bye. So there we are. I'm going to go off and turn off some lights now. I put on a jumper and turn the heating down. Uh, that's it for this week. I'm Phil Dobby, back again with another edition of the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen. Next week, thanks for listening. The Debunking Economics Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.